Dark Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art, as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art, I Like to Paint Monsters, and you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Zar. Action. We're recording. And we're live with Chet Zar. Hello. What's up? What's up? Okay. Here we are. Back again. We're with part two. Questions and answers part two. Yeah, we got so many questions that we decided to split it up into two episodes. And they were pretty good questions for the most part. Yeah. So, And I went ahead and screenshot all of the ones for, so that I wouldn't lose track. So I'm just going to go through, through them in the order in which I screenshot them. And then if we get through all of them, we'll go and Chet said there were a few more. And we'll go ahead and pick those ones up if we can. Cool. Okay. But I didn't click more on, on see more on all of these before I screenshot them. So I'm going to, I'm going to end up asking parts of questions. So the, where we left off last time guys is uh, Marty Cord, Cordan, Cordelion Dion. There you go. I think I got it. Do your portrayals of monsters reflect humanity's innermost vulnerableness? Our demons question mark. Uh, yeah, I could say you, you could say that. I think that's pretty, pretty accurate in a way. Yeah, I th- I, they're kind of like representations of the ego. I think first and foremost, they're just good, clean, fun. They're just done for my enjoyment primarily. But I think they're aspects of the human ego, really, or the psyche. Mm-hmm. And I think you discovered that through the process of doing the ego death show, which we just yeah episodes now ago we didn't we did uh ego death so if you guys didn't catch that one go back if you're curious about the ego death show yeah talks a lot about the artwork and stuff so let's add a little more to that because there was i can see more of the question it says if the personification of said demons is artistically cathartic should we commune and be curious or reviled and defensive well i don't think being reviled and defensive is ever a good way to be personally word you know i think it's all about embracing it or at least looking at it trying to understand it looking at it without fear and yeah it's all about making friends with your demons i would say yeah i would say so too i mean obviously that's kind of what we both came to through the process of making the documentary yep was was that that realization i guess in a way that was very tangible I mean, we i think we both are, always knew that already but it somehow became more accessible you know as a byproduct of working on the film i think oh definitely absolutely all right so we're still on facebook we're moving down to chris helford and he right, says in chris your helford. opinion <clears throat> followed by mike's thanks chris i appreciate you including me <laughs> which which era in art has played the biggest role in forming modern dark art and then we'll go on to the next sections but mm. that's the first interesting era which era yeah which era in art has played the biggest role in forming modern dark art well i think that you know i would say the giger era whatever era that is <laughs> See, I feel like I mean, for I feel like the way I'm reading the question is almost like it feels like anything that's happened in the past hundred years is modern. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
So, so I mean, because I would consider Giger modern dark art yeah, in my yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, You know, so I feel like he's almost asking us to go back farther than that, mm. you know? Like, because, I mean, if you go back to, like, the early 1900s, things were a lot different than they are now. But I guess a lot of, a lot of stuff happened during the contemporary art movements throughout the, the 1900s. So, but, so you would say, though, one way or another, you feel like Giger is really the one that kind of brought it to where it is now. Uh, yeah, I really do. I think so. I really think that's – I mean, I don't really <clears> – <throat> I don't know earlier than that. I really. I feel like Hieronymus Bosch, you know, is probably was the first, maybe at least that Mm -hmm. we're aware of, you know, in popular culture. At least certainly that I'm aware of in in having gone to academia and studied art history. uh, I would say that you know he was doing stuff that was really hardcore and dark, and I feel like it probably has had an indelible impact on all of the successive artists that, again, during various eras were historically prominent and led to the, you know, what we would consider to be modern dark art, like Francis Bacon, Goya, right, right. you know, some of these other people that I, you can't, I just can't imagine that Goya and Francis Bacon weren't, you know, affected by Hieronymus Bosch. Yeah, level. that's true. That's true. You're probably right. And then, of course, those guys affected Giger, but you know <clears throat> yeah i mean i i, just, I think of I, I guess the way i took the question is modern dark art would be sort of what's going on now and um you know geeker was like in the 70s sure you know so that's how long ago that's like 40, 40 years ago yeah yeah 45 years ago he seems he seems to be the to me the to be the big precursor to this modern movement like the first one that kind of did it i i agree but I'm with you on Hieronymus Bosch for sure. And Goya, you know, there's not a ton. There, you know, you should look, anyone interested should look at the symbolist movement. Also, I don't even know any of the names of the symbolist artists, but the symbolist artists were doing dark art, basically. They just called it sim- symbolism, symbolist art. Right. Well, and even if you look at, you know, you look at Dadaism or Surrealism, a lot of that stuff was, was very, very dark. Yeah, that's um, true. But again, it, 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 there was no such thing as dark art then, so we can't really call it that. We only know about that in hindsight. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, for sure. Well, I agree with you. The next part of that question is, and what direction do you see it going in the next decade? Huh. That's a good question. I have no idea. Really? Yeah. I I really have no idea. I mean, uh, I think it's getting more accepted. So all the good and bad that comes along with something being more accepted will come come with it, I imagine. You know, like commercialization and on the kind of bad side and... um, I don't know more people doing it, so further exploration. So hopefully, hopefully, new ways to express it because more more artists will be kind of uh, venturing in that area. You know, younger people that have grown up on it—that's something that's kind of a new thing. You know, mm. you know, like uh, people like I guess people like us that grew up on Giger were <clears throat> maybe the first people that had. A, a modern dark artist to grow up on, you know, but now a lot more people are doing it. So it's a lot more available. Plus the internet's going to factor in. That's, that's a huge thing. I don't know. I'm, I have no idea. 
Interesting. I, I feel the same way as what as what you were saying. I mean, I, I to dovetail off of it a little bit. I feel like, you know, we're just going to see a lot more of it because, and as a result of it being more accepted, I think we'll see greater synergy of dark art elements in various mediums. You know what I mean? Because you're going to see. Like even for instance that, you know, you, you've watched this first Twin Peaks and you're like, oh, it's so amazing and it's so good. And it's like really probably partly because he can do things now that he couldn't have done back then because it wasn't quite as acceptable. You know, I mean, and he, that was he pushed the line back then with Twin Peaks, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But I think that people will feel more, you know, they will feel more free to be able to express themselves and to allow mm-hmm. themselves to go farther into sharing that dark art uh, aesthetic you know, in various mediums. And so there'll be a greater synergy between those, you know, those mediums and seeing more of it again, as you said, popularized. Yeah, certainly. Like when the eighties, we always, you know, we were like, Oh, I wish that I could find some stuff with skulls on it, but I can't. So I'll draw a skull on my shirt, you know, (laughs) whereas nowadays you look, go anywhere, go to any store and you're going to find shirts with skulls on them, you know? So it's probably what we, uh, whatever we see now, that's like, pretty hardcore now to us it's like whoa that's out there that'll be like to- in 10 years you know totally yeah, commodified right. <laughs> like at fred meyer and shit you know <laughs> walmart and crap you know but i think also you know you we might see people going larger too because it's like i've watched you you know do these larger and larger shows and these more and more and more involved and when i said synergy earlier i meant that same kind of thing where you have a dark art aesthetic that permeates all of the mediums that you use but what you'd like to do is move farther into the, a greater production of it where it's a cohesive world with characters that are playing out roles and there are storylines and scenarios and premises and things like that. And obviously we've seen more and more and more of that, you, you know, looking at Breaking Bad and Stranger Things and what's this new Clyde Barker one that's out that everyone's going off about? Is it like American Gods or something? What's it called? Oh, no, that's not Clyde Barker. That's uh, Neil Gaiman, right? Oh, that was – is it? Is it? I think it's Neil Gaiman. Well, anyway, either way, you get the point. I guess what I'm saying is, is that, you know, I, I think we're going to see more and more of these larger productions because there'll be more money in it because that's what people are uh, have adjusted to being able to accept, you know, right. the common paradigm. And so there'll probably be more money for people that can go big and want to go big. You know, I right. see people doing full, huge installations and fully interactive experiences. You know, like you, you go to Meow Wolf or whatever here in Santa Fe and it's like it's this fully immersive artistic installation experience where there's so many layers and features to it and it's getting all your senses and it's not so much virtual as in like you know there's that class of thinking where it's you know going into a virtual world and and experiencing that and you you trip me out on, you know, the virtual experience at your place when I was there last time. But, you know, I also see a movement towards the more physical and more of these less uh, hands off and less vicarious and more like going and experiencing and being in and interacting with and things of that nature, mm-hmm. which is kind of a throwback, really, when you think about it. You know, the pendulum swings, I think. So we see it go back and forth from extreme to extreme. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you bring up Twin Peaks also. I think that's a great indicator on how how popular that series is i mean everybody's talking about it and if you know if you think about such a weird dark show having mm-hmm. such a huge fan base you know it's really it has kind of hit the mainstream in a way the fact that david a guy like david lynch is kind of a main not ma- he's not a mainstream director but he's you know mainstream enough to get the show sequeled 25 years later on showtime you know mm-hmm. that's that's kind of a big deal yeah, it's it's really, it really says a lot. 
Well, and he hasn't had idle hands in the interim either. He's always been that guy that's just going to yeah. do what he's going to do. You know, he, he's if you look at his filmography, it's obscene. Yeah, he's done a lot. You know, more than what most people even have any real concept of. Yeah, okay. he's very prolific. Okay, yeah, we can move on now. And the last of Chris, <laughs> Chet's like, shut up. Move on. <laughs> the last of Chris's questions was uh, Chris's questions was, what does Marlon Brando's name taste like? Oh yeah, it tastes like. Um... Uh, tuna fish and banana bread. <laughs> Marlon tastes like tuna fish. Brando tastes like, I think it's banana bread or, or I think it's banana bread. Something cinnamony. Anyway. Okay. Tuna banana bread. <laughs> Yummy. Uh, Imagine that disgusting. sandwich. <laughs> uh, horror. A tuna okay. sandwich with banana bread. <laughs> that would be awful. That sounds horrible. Yes, indeed. All right. Christina Bunatello. Uh, I'd like to hear more about how the energy feels in those wild environments you journey around in. And also, is that how you pick your color palettes for your paintings? Wow. What a, what a great question. About the energy fields. Well, <clears throat> feels, feels as in F E E L S. Oh, how the I'd energy like to hear more about how the energy feels in those wild environments you journey around uh, in. And well, also, is that how you pick your color palettes for your paintings? Interesting. Well, I, I'm, I'm sure you have a lot to say on this subject as well, but I, I will start off and say that um, the energy feels different depending on. I think where your head's at at the time for one thing, but I, I guess in my best experiences in those realms have been feeling like a, a beam of energies flowing into my head and filling up my body and uh, kind of like almost orgasmic through your whole body. This kind of electric feeling of energy, really, really incredible feeling. Um, but on the other hand, if you're working through some, something that you haven't dealt with in yourself and you, and you go on a journey, I, we're talking about psychedelic journeys, I'm guessing, right? That's what we're I don't know. That's, that, kind uh, of, that was, uh, that's a perfectly suitable direction to take with it. <laughs> that's what I thought she meant. Uh, uh, they could feel really bad, you know, if you're, <laughs> if you gotta, if you, if you need to unblock some of that energy, it's not fun. It's 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 not comfortable. It's not a good it can, feeling. It can involve various forms of purging. <laughs> that's a, that's a nice kind. way to put it. <laughs> and as far as my color palette, my color palette is um, just kind of. Um, I like to keep the colors very muted and earth tone, earth tony, kind of more old master style. Um, I'm not sure how I arrived at that. Just, I think I like, I just like that, those tones. I like the more naturalistic tones. I like to keep things muted so that when I do add color, the color really is important, you know? So I keep, keep the colors muted. And then if, if there is something that needs to be red or orange or blue or something that needs to stand out, you're, you're not, you don't have a lot of other bright colors that are fighting against it. And you can really kind of use color to make, uh, to emphasize a focal point or whatever, you know, it's just, I, I like to keep things rather than throwing all kinds of color. I like to keep the color <clears throat> almost secondary to having everything in kind of these various 
shades of almost gray or at least grayed out colors, you know, very muted. If you look at, um, you know, flesh, if you really look at the color of your skin, it's very, it's not brightly colored, really. It's very kind of muted. So I just, I don't know. I just like those colors, colors of bones, nice. you know, bone colors, Dirty bones, dirty bones, dirty bones. 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 All right, next question. Carrie Ann Hudson. And I think I fucked up Christina's name. Now that I'm really looking at how it's spelled, because I just assumed, because, you know, we do this, we like, our mind tells us. Uh, It looks like it's Boyne Teo, but... I mean, yeah, I, I know who she is. She's Carrie she's, Ann she's Hudson. Cool. The next she, she posts, one. I know. I'm just I'm correcting because she she'll uh, probably hear this, and I don't want her to be like, "There's no A. It's not Buena. Come on, what's this problem?" <laughs> she's, so I'm correcting she's, myself. She's super cool. She posts. She's, she's way cool. Posts, I know who she is too. Uh, hilarious videos of herself too with weird she's, filters. She's super. Uh, she's super supportive, and she's yeah. always throwing mad shares and props and comments and feels. She's got a great attitude too. She's very yep. positive and upbeat. I like her. Well, that's why I wanted to go back and give her name due time. Good job. So, um, Carrie Ann Hudson, favorite music to listen to while creating or films to have on in the background? Mm-hmm. Well, I can answer both these for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for films, it's documentaries. It's been that way for years now. Um, but I do, you know, if I'm in a, if I'm in a mood, I like to play old kind of classic horror films that I like, like Night of the Living Dead, of course. I played a million times, uh, zombie, the Italian film, stuff like that. Uh, I went through a phase for a while where I was just watching really, really, really bad, 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 the bad, baddest, bad movies you can watch. The connoisseurs will know when I say Al Adamson, bad, if you, if you know, bad films, Al Adamson is like, Oh my God, it's really, it's, 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 it's almost art. It's so bad. It's so bad. It's so great. Um, Artistically bad. Oh, just bad in every way. Bad. Um, so music, you know, it just depends on what I'm feeling like at the time, what I'm into at the time. It could be anything. Well, recently, it's been the Beatles. Before that, I went through a Devo phase again. Before that, you know, No Means No, Minutemen. It's just all the bands I like. Sometimes I'll... Um, I like to go back to childhood stuff, stuff I enjoyed when I was a kid. To kind of get that nostalgic feeling is always fun to kind of inspiring. And then the Brady Bunch, you know, you got to go through the Brady Bunch sometimes and paint. Here's a story <laughs> of a lovely lady. <laughs> I love watching the Brady Bunch of painting. It's fun. Anyway, he does. I've filmed him doing it. How about you? Do you like you don't watch stuff when you create? Do you? you you're a music no. guy for sure. Yeah, I listen to music. Yeah, lots of music. I, I'm kind of like always listening to music. It's mm-hmm. very rare that I don't have some kind of music playing. I'm kind of addicted to music. Actually, yeah, that's your thing. You put you always. That's like when you start. If I know the times I came over, any anytime we'd sit down to do anything, you'd put music on. Music. The yep. Immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like late. I mean, I'm just like you. I listen to all different kinds of stuff, and it really is just a matter of the mood I'm in. But what I find is, is like, if I'm working on my computer, which is what I do the vast majority of the time these days, if I'm working on my computer, I want to not be distracted by words predominantly. I mean, a little, little bit of lyrical stuff here and there, no big thing, but like I've been really listening to the glitch mob a lot because when I'm writing or if I'm editing or if I'm doing anything technical, I don't want to hear people. 
intelligible words and talking and it yeah, that's, and distracts me and I don't like it. That's the same for me. If I'm doing, if I have to write emails or do any kind of writing, any, anything verbally, I can't watch a movie or a documentary, but if I'm painting, it's nonverbal. So my, it's weird. It's like, I can totally soak up the, see, that makes sense to me the because verbal I like, information. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Cause I, you turned me on to podcasts and I have busy work that I have to do. That's very hands-on work. And when I'm doing that hands-on work, I, I can totally go off in my head with a podcast right. and it's great. But if I'm trying to create something like, uh, you know, again, linguistically or yeah. even just technically, like if I'm editing even, I don't, well, that's not, yeah, it's true for that too. I don't want to hear like talking. Well, that's, it, yeah, that's a super, it's very technical editing and yeah. you have to think and you have to remember what you moved here and there and this and that. Yeah. And that, that seems like it's conflicts with the part of your brain that hears words and makes sense of them or something. Cause yeah. That's, I mean, for, for me, the reason I like documentaries is because I can, you know, most documentaries you don't have to watch. So I have a TV next to my easel and, um, I put the documentary on so I can, it's like, I'm listening to it mostly. And, sure. and, and I like that it takes, it occupies that part of my mind so that, mm-hmm. so that the, mm-hmm. just the pure creative part can focus on the painting. And it seems, yeah. that's why I like, uh, talking on the phone also. You know, mm-hmm. when I'm when I'm drawing or painting or whatever, I I, I like doing that too because it, it seems to occupy part of my mind, which is weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, that makes sense to me for sure. Yeah, I mean, I like a lot of, like Art of Noise and Boards of Canada and Glitch Mob and like all that. You know, Andreas Wallen Weimer Heimer whatever the fuck <laughs> from the '80s like weird music. Like I, I like you know, when I'm doing that kind of work, but if I'm doing like, you know, uh, sculptural work or drawing or even graphic design, um, I, I like to listen to pretty much anything. It, it just, again, depends on the mood that I'm in, I would say predominantly. So, but yeah, I don't watch movies or have movies on when I'm doing anything. If I'm going to have a movie on, I'm going to be watching it. Right. And I watch, I, I watch <laughs> at least, you know, one or two movies a day, every day. Of every week of every month. So I'm like, you know, I consume a shitload of media, but that for me is like, I de- I'm done. I'm done working. I'm going right. to eat some food. I'm going to like really watch this thing and get into it and eat my food and, you know, really devote my attention to it. So for me, it's a very different thing, you know, watching right. something. Got okay. It. Moving on. Moving Rana on. Gardner. Thank you, Rana Gardner, for everything you do for us, all your support and whatnot. Yes. Uh, what happens to those I love that have committed suicide? Yeah, well, that's a that's a very difficult and intense question, but uh, I mean, it comes down to what you believe, I suppose. Yeah, what it's, do you believe? Nobody knows. I, personally, I believe that you you are already God. Everybody's already God. Everything is already God. And when your physical body dies, you're—I don't want to say you go back to God, but you just become God in a way that you realize that you're fully God. Instead of being this being in a body that thinks they're Chet or Mike, that's what kind of what I think. You know, I, I love that way of thinking about it. Yeah, I don't know that that's exactly what I think, but I love that way of thinking. About it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what I think. I yeah, have a lot of the, thought, I have a lot of thoughts about it. Yeah, that's it's hard. I mean, nobody knows. That's the thing. Oh, that's the that's the exciting part and also the terrifying part of the unknown. Right. The end of the race is coming and you, you you're not quite sure where 
where it is and when it's going to happen and what's going to happen after you get to the end of the race. But yeah. we all know it's going to happen, whatever it is. And I think we contrive a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of structures and ideologies and thoughts and things around that because inevitably we're all scared, you know, and we want answers and we want to be able to make sense out of who we are and why we're here and where we're going and why is this happening, you know? So it makes sense that we would want those answers. I think unfortunately though, again, it's all talk at the end of the day because none of us, nobody is going to know for sure, you know, and and no one comes back to tell us about it. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I I heard a great analogy one time that it's like, you know, being your consciousness is, it's almost like being broadcast from a, I mean, this sort of goes against the idea that no, it doesn't really. Oh, well, let me just tell you that the analogy was that your consciousness is almost like being broadcast to you and your body is almost like a TV. So it's like a TV having a program being broadcast on that. And when you turn the TV off, things still being broadcast it's just the tv's off you know and so i thought that was kind of a cool analogy for death that's great i love know? it so. yeah i i could talk way too long about that about all of that I, what i would say is is i to take it one step further i have kind of a part of what i think is the way that things work is that what a person believes as an individual is what is or what happens and and so but you know again there's mass perception and mass perception has a strong hold over what we're allowed to believe individually you know really i mean when you think about well you know if i if i could believe anything i could levitate right here but it's like yeah but you got all these societal voices in your head and telling you no that's fucking impossible so you know you're not gonna be able to do it but insofar as we're able to have variations of belief which we all do from this core general mass belief that exists i think that whatever little intonations that we perceive is what manifests both before and after so what i would say to you rana in my my response to your your question is what would you ask yourself what would you like to have had happened to them after they committed suicide and then believe that because if you believe that then it is true you know for you you're the director of your own movie, you know? So if it's true for you and whatever you believe is true is true, even if only for you, then you have nothing to lose by choosing what you want to believe about it. And there's a greater likelihood that it will in fact be the case. I I have nothing to add to that. I have nothing to say to that. (laughs) You should have seen the expressions on his face while I was talking. Well, we, like, ha- we, ha- we, have WTF, little, WTF. we have a little bit of a difference of opinion on that subject. But oh, we have okay. major differences of opinion. <laughs> we should actually have that full episode where we actually just like talk about what we think. Yeah. Because what would happen is I would understand more about what you think and you would actually understand more about what I think. It's a matter of us being able to find a way to communicate it in a way that makes it accessible to one another, which is true for all types of complex communication, be it philosophical or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Anyhow, moving anyway. on. David Francisco, do you incorporate black magic into your work? Yeah, I kind of hope this is a joke question, but but in case it's not, no. Uh, I have to correct you right now because you have incorporated a character named true. Black Magic into your work. <laughs> so the answer is yes, but not how you think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably a better better answer. Uh, yeah, no, no. No, um, I, I, I toy with the, the imagery of dark stuff and black magic and, and 
you know, you know, if you've seen the documentary, you know, I feel like I'm doing something positive. And that's the, I like to wrap that up in a kind of what's traditionally negative or scary imagery. I think that kind of makes the, uh, makes it more unexpected and an unusual way of presenting positive ideas, really. Um, so I do not do black magic. No, he doesn't. And I don't incorporate it into my artwork, except I'm going to tell a really funny anecdotal story right now that you're going to get a kick out of Chad. Everyone will get your uh, contagious laugh as it's been <laughs> as it's been deemed now on social media. So when Chet and I first were getting to know each other in 2012, and I was getting ready to work on this Chet Czar I Like to Paint Monsters documentary about him, um, I was trying to come up with different cool, edgy, clever ways to shoot. <laughs> I know the story. <laughs> <laughs> to shoot the Kickstarter video and, and and then and actually then also speculating about some cool things I could do for the film but it was all just like speculation because I hadn't worked on film in fucking a decade and was just like you didn't know, you know me really I didn't barely you know. know him yeah I was just you know basically spinning up whatever ideas but it's just so funny in hindsight so anyway and, I, and I'm and I'll say it even though it's totally a humiliating story because I think it's that good so so I, I came to chat one day and I was like, hey, I've got this really good idea. <laughs> I was like, what we should do is like, you know, go to a cemetery and, and set up, you know, and have you have your easel there and your paints and everything. And I could shoot you, you know, like painting in a cemetery. And then like I could take you to like another place, you know, like somewhat like a creepy alleyway, you know, and and, and we could set you up with your easel and you'd be painting. And, and I had some whole long scenario, <laughs> sequence of these different strange places you know and then somehow it was all going to come back to him in his studio but it was you know definitely just absolutely <laughs> totally ridiculous and not on point at all with who chet czar is and he was as as, as he always is he's very honest and to the point and he came back and he was like well you know to be honest i don't paint in cemeteries or alleyways or abandoned buildings so the truth of the matter is like that's not really representing me the way that i am i, I don't really think it's gonna work <laughs> But of course, now in hindsight, it's like, oh my god, what a you know, what an idiot thing to say. Because <laughs> like, now, of course, now I know I know him, and and I, I've gotten to know him so well, and it's just well, so it's so ridiculous to even think that that first of all would fit anything with your style, or that you would ever go for anything like it. It's just goes to show my ignorance at the time. Well, you know, you know that's probably the. Uh... My naivete. My yeah. naivete. Yes. There you go. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, maybe like what what a layperson may, might think of. Or, or right, you know, so basically someone that doesn't know the whole story, maybe. I mean, I do like graveyards. I have always loved graveyards and cemeteries, and I and I uh, used to go to them a lot. I just think they're peaceful and cool, and, and I, I like it. But, yeah, I'm too – I'm not I, – I, it's you know it's not about but here's that. the thing the reason that i tell the story is because david francisco there are other people out there even me who at some point in time would have thought to ask that question so it's a legit okay. question <laughs> <laughs> don't feel lonely okay. out there brother yeah that's true, that's true. <laughs> okay moving on carlos muñoz fave comedians shows you guys have seen live shows you would have loved to see live influence on your art way to see the world, etc. I love and embrace that part of American culture. I believe this is actually Carlos Brigante. Uh, and I think he has changed his name on Facebook, but his name is still Carlos Brigante on uh, SoundCloud. So anyhow, let's start with the first one. Fave comedians. Do it. Oh, um, that would be George Carlin. 
that would be my favorite comedian nice. of all time. Definitely. There's that, you know, the famous um, routine that was go- that was big in the '90s that he did. That, that's like an HBO special that people are always quoting it, and um, now everyone's applying their political beliefs to just justify their political beliefs now, even though it was just a comedy routine. But um, very kind of nihilistic sounding, you know. Uh, you know the whole thing about language he did. There was that great thing about language. Um, fuck, I don't know. That I, was very George Carlin. He just <laughs> threw out a fuck for no reason. <laughs> no, he does a whole thing about language and how you know everything's kind of wimpy now. And it used to be we used to say someone died. Now we say they passed away. And you know <laughs> now it used to be called toilet paper. Now it's called bathroom tissue or you know he goes through a whole thing about how everything's kind of been uh, softened softened yeah it's really yeah. funny but there's like there's a lot of great stuff in there and, and it's the one where he talks about you know the you know people everyone wants to save the save the whales and save the bees and stuff and the earth is going to be fine the people are fucked you know <laughs> basically <laughs> the earth is going to get heal itself eventually the people are what's going away we're going away folks pack your <laughs> shit we're going away <laughs> that's great so i would say that's kind of my one big comedian that i that i uh, uh liked that i would that's say solid. is my favorite you know me i don't even like comedy i mean right. that's not true it's not fair to say that because i do like there is comedy that i like and you've turned me on to some comedy that i wouldn't have listened to that i do like like little miss sunshine style comedy love that like that film's awesome mm-hmm. you know i just think it's so incredibly funny every part of it is good but i like that black humor stuff but right. if i had to pick like a number one favorite comedian i definitely have to say bill hicks yeah for yeah. sure yeah bill hicks sure. is great i it's just that he came to me late in the game, so I don't have that same connection. I, I grew up on George Carlin, like my brother and my dad had George Carlin records in the seventies. Yeah, I remember. I grew up on Robin Williams, so I remember them. Ha- my like my parents had Robin Williams records. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah Robin Williams yeah. is amazing. Actually, oh, actually, I, they had a reel to reel. I take it back. Oh wow, it's not a fucking reel to reel. They still have that thing at the cabinet. It works too. It's wow. great. Go up there and put like Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix on and shits from the sixties. I've got real. yeah, I've got a reel to reel player that my grandfather brought over when he was a uh, uh, in the navy. He brought it over from Japan, and it's like I don't think he used it once. It's just two. Does it work? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I mean, cool. it turns on. It's a you never get any tape for it. And what the fuck? Yeah, you, you know. Could, but I'm sure you could get it. I mean, it's like a tube amplifier. Uh, Reel to reel, and it's just in pristine condition. Oh, it's cool. so cool. So someday I'll figure out something to use it for. But, um, but I remember Robin Williams stuff. I mean, but I just wasn't that into it. I was too young to really be able to appreciate it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I've just never really gotten too excited about a whole lot of comedy. I mean, I would consider Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas a comedy. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's yeah, I, it is like kinda. I think that's great. You know, but that's not that's not stand up comedian. So I guess that doesn't really good really work that well uh live shows live shows chet live shows stand up live shows no no i think he's like moving on like shows you guys have seen live shows you would have loved to have seen seen live influence on your art so he's just curious about like you know music i think like shows. i think he's talking about comedy oh, well i've never seen any comedy live so i haven't that, either that about solves that one for you. <laughs> i mean the only thing that i've ever done live really uh is music, I guess. Yeah, but I've done a, lot, a couple spoken words, you know, yeah. but a lot of you know a lot of bands and stuff like that. 
Yeah, I've seen Jello Biafra live doing like uh, spoken word in the nice. That'd be great. I saw Ice T eighties really with my do, parents. Yeah, do spoken word. Yeah, it was fucking awesome. Wow. It's like almost four hours long, dude. And we came out and my parents were both like, "Wow." My dad was like, "Well, I have a, a much greater level of respect for Ice T." Ice T was great, man. I was I totally awesome. got into Ice T in the nineties. Me too. Because he actually he actually he actually. Uh, sampled one of jello's spoken word things in one of his songs and i was like i heard that and i was like oh this guy must be cool so i started listening to it it's like oh this is great hey, he came up to my college to, he came to western washington university and and i my parents were going to be there and i got his tickets and totally took my parents oh, that's great, great. kind of like i don't know about this you know <laughs> it's just so funny they should have had a camera at the door that was like recording people's expressions going in and what that like what they thought it was going to be and then coming out because my parents were like I don't know about this. And on the way out, they were like, wow, that was great. <laughs> it's so just like, funny. just like I like to paint monsters. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I haven't really, I guess that's not true though. Cause I've seen ballet live. I've seen, you know, I've seen muscle, like muscle, muscly show off your muscles, bodybuilding stuff live. Mm. I've seen actually quite a few things live. So I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I think he's talking about comedy, but you know, I, cause it's bands. It's like everyone's seen live bands, right? Yeah, I would imagine so. <laughs> I don't know. Never seen a live comedian, that's for sure. So maybe actually to answer the rest of his question, I would love to see a live comedian sometime and enjoy that. Yeah, never Louis, had that Louis C.K. is great. Hey, you're always telling me to watch. Yeah. Oh, man. Fucking amazing. He's he's probably my favorite uh, modern comedian right now. We'll but keep yeah. talking comedians so we don't drop the ball here on Carlos. And no, that's say, a, we we so gave a lot of time to this. Question. Okay, fine. Neil <laughs> Neil Logum. Pros and cons of a canvas canvas versus wood panel. Very functional question. Thank yes. you, Neil. Uh, I love your work, by the way, Neil. Love love checking your shit out, man. You're cool. Oh, I'll have to check it out. Um, Langham. 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 Uh, uh, I think panels are more archival, so I think they're better as far as lasting longer. I use canvas and I've been using linen lately also because they're more lightweight <clears throat> and I always, I'm always dropping things. I'm kind of clumsy. So, uh, the thing about the panels that drive me nuts are when you drop them on their corners and they chip, they chip the corners, it drives me insane. So, um, they're a little more expensive also than canvas. Uh, what I really want to try and what the, you know, the people that are really into the longevity of, of painting, like these really traditional hardcore painter guys like, uh, uh, David Gluck, he's, um, he's doing tattooing now also. He's really great. Uh, I don't know if Jeremy Lipking or Sean Cheatham, these guys that are like real, real painters, you know, tr uh, academic painters painters i'm not sure if those guys are using them but the gen i've seen in that <clears throat> in that little scene uh people using these aluminum panels now that i think they're called hmm. die bond is one of the things it's called but they're the same thing that uh stop signs and stuff are made out of it's like it's like two pieces of aluminum and some kind of substrate in between them to, so it's not solid aluminum something that kind of bonds the two together. And apparently that stuff is supposed to be the, you know, will not, nothing will happen to 
this stuff over time ever. The cat's cream. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to try those, those panels. I've just been kind of afraid because it's weird painting on aluminum. So hope that helps. Well, you know, fear is the mind killer check. So let's just be <laughs> careful with that fear. I, I would check. All right. I, I, I'll say this also, um, canvas you know you're dealing with the canvas texture but i kind of like the canvas texture it depends how thick you paint if you're painting really thick the canvas texture doesn't show up at all um but i i it's weird i like i really like either one i i like the the way that a canvas takes an underpainting better than i like the way that a board takes an underpainting but i like the way that a board finishes better than i like the way that a canvas finishes as far as detail, because you can get really smooth, tight detail, but it hasn't given me problems with canvas. So they're so close to me that I, I uh, can't really choose, and I pretty much bounce back and forth, but mostly it's canvas for me. Nice. So that's that. All right. David Pound, how serendipity has worked compared to planning your progress, both as an artist and success? Hmm. Um. Hmm. Like how hmm. much would you say is being in the right place at the right time versus, you yeah. know, your planning and efforts towards manifesting said outcome? Well, <clears throat> for the artwork, sorry, for the artwork, let's start with the artwork. That's the easy one. Uh, I, I like to plan more. I, we covered this yesterday, maybe, right? About doing studies. We talked about your process, the yeah, stages yeah. that you go through. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, for paintings, I, I I plan them out, but there there's I'm not so s stuck to the planned out image. I allow room to grow, and oftentimes I'll get even like for example, I'll give a good example of the the ego death painting, which is one of my most successful paintings. I think I I I had that all planned out. I thought it's, this is all good. It looks good. I got the colors planned out. Blah blah blah. I painted the whole thing and I got to the very end and I was just like, there's just, it needs something else. It needs one little thing that wasn't planned out in the painting. And then what I ended up doing as I'm going to look at it right now here, um, <clears throat> what I ended up doing was added this backlight behind the monsters in the background. That's kind of blue. It's a cool color. It's a cool, like a cool blue green, really light color. And that works that's the complement of the main color of the painting, which is orange. That's the opposite color. And adding a bit of a complementary color really uh, makes makes a big difference. Otherwise, that painting would have mainly just been orange. Would have had far less depth, yeah, for sure. Yeah, less depth, and it just wouldn't have had that special something. So I put that little cool backlight in, and that just made the whole painting to me. That was like, oh, it's done. It's perfect. And so... That's a good example of having a painting planned and still, you know, still being open to, you know, changing it and making it better. Um, so, and those are those magic things that, <clears throat> or the happy accidents, those things just kind of happen sometimes. So I'm, I always try and be open with artwork for happy accidents. I think most artists probably do. 
I'm sure you do with your artwork. Yeah. It's, well, and even as a little kid, I learned that so young. I mean, I remember actually it's funny because my mom specifically, like I had been at school and been working on this cool thing. I think I was in the second grade, if I remember correctly. And uh, I came home with this, this cool drawing that I've been working on, but I had screwed it up part of it. And I was really bummed. And I came home and I showed my mom and I was like, you know, I worked on it all day and I screwed this part up. And it's, my mom was like, well, that's okay. She was like, that was what was supposed to happen. See, now you just got to look at it and think, okay, how could I incorporate this into it and make this part of it? That was, that's like the magic, you know? And I was like, whoa. <laughs> and then of course I like tried it and was like, wow, this is great. And so then from that point forward, I never even concerned myself with, with oh, anything that's like cool. that. That's cool. So I learned that really young. So yeah, I definitely do that. Yeah. Good. good you know, my, my mom being, uh, having a master's in childhood development didn't hurt. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's... Being able to know what to tell me and when to tell it to me. Right. That's super cool. Uh, as far as car- career wise and life wise, I think is the other part of the question. Um, you know, <clears throat> same goes same principle, really, you know, you try, uh, except I, I less planned out in my life than I am with my artwork. That's for sure. Maybe I should take a clue from the, <laughs> since I have some, like a paint, paint pretty well. Maybe I should start living my life a little more like that or plan things out more. But I, you know, I'm, I'm and very, then your paintings would turn to shit in your life and actually be all inorganized, but your paintings would start sucking. You're using all that energy on your paintings. Don't yeah, divert right. it away. Stay dysfunctional. I'll just keep helping. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm very, you know, my life is, I'm very, uh, you know, fly by the seat of your pants kind of guy, but you know, that's, I'm just, I've always been that way since I was a kid. I'm very, you know, I'm spontaneous and, and, um, sometimes impulsive, but, uh, you know, I, I have like a, a, a greater overall view of how I'd like things to be. And I always try and stay focused on that as far as my career goes to keep that. And then how that happens is not really, I don't feel like it's necessarily up to me or I'm, I'm open to however that wants to happen. I'm just focusing on what I want to happen. And then I'm open to many of the different ways that that could possibly happen. And so I've tried to stay ready to follow anything when it comes up, you know, if that makes any sense. That makes perfect sense. I thought that was a very good way of putting it. Well, thank you. I do the same thing. Yeah. More or less. Yeah. You just work hard towards what you love and you keep believing that somehow it's going to work out, even if you don't know how, and then you just keep your eyes open and stay kind of perennially aware so that when you see that little opportunity that is there, that you keep choosing those and keep choosing those. If you light enough fires, eventually you're going to have a blaze, you know? Right. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, we're getting down to the end here already, so let's keep moving. Ryan Aragon, uh, do you think an artist makes better work when they're tortured? Uh, no, I don't believe that. I, I think some artists that might, you know, so obviously some artists have been tortured, but you know, when I'm tortured, I can't make good artwork. I, I'm too preoccupied with the torture. You know, I, I, I don't feel tortured, even though my artwork might look like I'm tortured, but maybe that's not why I'm not tortured because I am getting it out on uh, canvas, but I think it's kind of a myth, really, that you have to be tortured. You know, I think. I don't think it has any. I don't think they correlate t- 
Beautiful. I think that it harkens back to what I said earlier, which is that if you believe that you have to be tortured to make better art, then you will set the circumstances in order to be tortured so you can make better art. If you believe that you don't need to be tortured to make better art, you will set the circumstances to not need to be tortured in order to make better art, What whatever you believe. Really. Right. Yeah. You know, if yeah, you buy I, the myth, if you buy the hype, then sure. But if you don't, then no. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that also. But I do, th- I mean, I think that some people are just, you know, tortured for whatever reason because they have issues and they, they, <clears throat> maybe they deal with that torture therapeutically through artwork. So that helps them. That doesn't mean that to be a great artist, you have to be tortured though. You know what I mean? It doesn't go both ways. I don't think that that someone's work is necessarily per se better work because they're tortured. I I just don't. Yeah, yeah, I don't agree with that. I don't. I think that's more 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 than anything. That's just a a big myth. You know, it's it's kind of that romanticism of yeah, that. Yeah. You know, that sweet misery. It's like I, oh, yeah. cutting cutting off your ear. I used oh, to totally <laughs> when I was a teenager. I used to believe that. I used to totally right. Believe, get into that whole idea but it's i think it's bullshit yeah all right mike elizald or elizald oh, sure. that's my old Elizaldi. boss my oh, old cool. boss mike spectral, he's the owner of spectral motion oh how how cool and that was where i was filming when i saw the painting on the wall that i was trying to talk about last time that i never figured out what it was anyway what about stone litho art question mark kind of a lost arcane skill set but fascinating nonetheless yeah, I don't know much about it. I mean, what I've seen is really interesting. I can't, you know, the idea of etching something backwards into stone to get a positive image is so weird to me. I mean, I so I don't feel qualified to say anything about it because I don't know anything about it, except uh, M.C. Escher, who's one of my favorite artists, did amazing stone lithography and um, I always thought those were graphite drawings, but uh, I think a lot of them were uh, lithographs. That's so cool. I've never done stone. I mean, I took printmaking courses in college, and we tried. We did acid etching, and we did metal stylus with you know hand etching, and uh, we did wood, and we did linoleum. Yeah, we did, I did all I did, different kinds, but I never did stone. Right. <laughs> yeah, I did a lino cut in uh, yeah, high yeah. school. That was kind of cool. Um, I just <clears throat> I. To me, the printing, I understand that printing and, and stone lithography and, and um, you know, other types of screen printing is, it's it's an art in itself, you know, and it's a medium in itself. And, but I've never been drawn to, to those techniques. To me, prints are a means to an end. They're a way of, you know, making art affordable that people can hang on their walls. So, you know, I'm all about the digital G clays because they're just, you know, easy to do and affordable and whatever. But um, you look a little bit like Rob Zombie right now. Don't say that. (laughs) Please don't say that. I I know how much that bothers you, but it's just true. (laughs) Um, I like White Zombie. White Zombie. I know. I I do too. I don't like Rob. They were a great band. I I I do love White. You know the thing about Rob Zombie that pissed this is pissed me off is tangent tangent tangent. Just a quick tangent is I you know the last white because he looks like him right now. (laughs) The last White Zombie album I thought was so good. It was Astro Creep 2000. Yeah, is the last one that he did. Yeah, I think that was awesome. Yeah, it was totally great. And then he did his solo stuff. 
people people dig it though so i'm, I'm not gonna despair I know, i'm just it. saying i don't but, like it yeah, i'm not but, saying that it's fine for other people to like it I but i got like it. it what's was that the hellbilly deluxe or whatever is that the one i think yeah i think that was the beginning i, I could be wrong that. but anyway there was this one album and i just thought oh rob zombie white zombie it's gonna be that good and i got the the cd and the booklet was amazing all the artwork was amazing. Always, always. It and then always I is. listened to the music, and it's just the songwriting was not there for me. It's like totally. it sounded like uninspired, or it sounded like to me, it sounded like stuff that kind of anybody could do. Tanned. Yeah, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of the song. I'm a big fan of songwriting, you know, and uh, the mm-hmm. songwriting wasn't there to me. So anyway, that's my aside from the the movie remake thing and the filmmaking. Yeah, which won't even let's get not into. even go into that. I let's don't even want to touch into that because so, I have too much. I, I would. <laughs> um, anyway, what were we talking about though? Because I had a oh yeah, oh, let's get back to it. I, I so, was I was gonna say litho uh, art. Yeah, I was gonna say the thing about oils to me is that that's it's why I love oils so much. It's direct results from you putting something onto the canvas. Boom, it's there. You created the painting right there. Whereas you know, with stone lithog- lithography, it's so much more technical where you're kind of doing this in order to do this. You want this result at the end. It's like there's steps in between. Mm-hmm. Whereas painting is just so direct and sculpting is very just direct. Mm-hmm. You do it and it's there, you know. So that's kind of why I like those forms as opposed to why I never get into screen printing or anything like that. <coughs> well, that's peanut butter and jelly. Yes, it is. And you have to listen to the last episode to, to understand what Mike's talking about. Yep, you do. So go back and listen if you haven't. Uh, Chris Granillo off Instagram. We're, we're to Instagram now. Will you make your work t- into an animation or film? That is my ultimate goal. We've talked about many times. So we're already you know working on that via right. making the field guide because that's like the first stage really yeah, in dystop- trying to right. manifest that. Yeah, the, the dystopia book. Yeah, so we're working on the book. Once the book's done, then we can start thinking about how to go 3D and uh, animate or live action or whatever. Visual, uh, you know, make a movie or something. Anyways. Right, or a television or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris Granillo, if you haven't, go and watch the Dystopia episode because uh, we have a whole episode all about it here on SoundCloud or whatever platform you're listening to to hear this. Yeah, it talks and a lot about that idea. It does. Okay, uh, Izakazi again with uh, Instagram. What mythological creature do you wish existed with us now in this time in life? I, I, I could say one, but that would just be me saying one. <laughs> I mean, That's what I he's asking for. Well, I mean, I could just you just say for, take say the one. first one that pops into my head, but uh, you know, that. yeah, that should be it. That's it. Say it. Uh, um, I'll tell you my first one that popped into my head too, because I had, there was one right away, and then I started going through the Rolodex. Well, Medusa. <laughs> That's the oh, first one it? that popped into my head. Yeah, yeah. Mine Medusa's the, great. The Phoenix. Oh, mine there you the go. Phoenix. But I, but I, you know, I can't say there's one. I'd have to think about it. I'd have to go and think about all the myth, mythological characters and which one I, you know, so. I don't really have an answer. He'd have to be like more human than human. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Had to do it. You look like him right now. Okay. Uh, Let's just go on. Another one from Izakazi. If your if your one wish was to be in a band you admire, what band would that be and what instrument would you choose? Well, 
I wouldn't want to be in anyone else's band. I would want to be in my band. So I guess the wish would be I would have a band. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> and I would probably play bass in it now. I used to have a band. <laughs> I used to, you know, I did music for 10 years. I was the guitar player and the singer and songwriter. Um, and now I don't have a band, but I am writing music and stuff. So I would like to be in my own band and play bass probably. Cool. All right, Christopher Moonlight. Let me know if you'd ever like to be on the Practical People. That's these. Practical that's one of the ones you're not supposed to ask. That's not a cool. Well, I didn't even read it in advance. I was just kind of <laughs> flying by the seat of my pants. Uh, that's not. That doesn't pertain to to us right at this moment in time. So he'll get back to you personally if he has time. Uh, Izakazi with another one. I'm. I'm just. I was just reading them. I'm sorry. I was trying to be like original and just have him come right on. If your brush <laughs> painted these things that would come to life, would you still choose darker things, or would you release good into this world? I. Uh, <laughs> uh, I uh, see editing is probably no. important. Nope. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll sign. I'll do it. I looked at my time code. Go. Uh, uh, no, no, I meant editing of the questions. Um, but, you know, uh, okay, now I'm all confused. Um, so if your paintbrush yeah. was actually painting yeah, these yeah, things yeah, the yeah. light, would you want them to be these creepy monsters well, or not? M- uh, maybe... Uh, I don't know. Maybe I, I would, would say fuck yes. <laughs> yeah. <personally. laughs> yeah. I guess the ones that aren't evil, there's some that are kind of evil. I probably wouldn't want to paint into existence, but most of them I are, totally would be like veto the interlopers. But aside from that, right. bring the creeple, bring the <laughs> yeah, creeple, bring the, creeple. <laughs> bring the peep, creeple people. Totally hang with some creeple for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's true. Okay. On. Uh, Nicole A. Rose, or Nicola Rose, maybe it's Nicola Rose. It's hard to say with these underscore stuff. At what age did you realize your talent and love to draw and create art? And were you self taught? Question mark. Sounds like someone needs to watch the documentary Chetzar I Like to Paint Monsters. <laughs> get at chetzar.bigcartel.com. <laughs> Want to answer that question briefly for this person who has yet to inaugurate themselves into the world of I Like to Paint Monsters, Chet? Yes, uh, I've. Uh, been painting uh, drawing since i was a little kid i remember drawing a turtle at three years old so i've been drawing at least since i was three and uh it never there was never a point that i can remember where i thought oh i'm an artist or i'm talented it was always just part of my life so i just kept doing it and um what was the other part of that question he is self-taught yeah and i'm self-taught yes i almost went to cal arts but i at the last minute I, i i backed out and um, decided to get into the film industry. That he went to Italy. How much cooler is that? Way yeah. fucking cooler. <laughs> yeah. It's just seen the movies we worked on there. Doesn't even matter. You went to Italy. I've yeah, never I know. Been it was there. great. That in and was... of itself, as a little kid coming out of high school, is so cool. Yeah, it was a great experience. Because sure. like, as an old man now, you probably look back and you're like, man, you know, you're not really an adult until you're like 30, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, as, as you know, so it's like at 18, just go to some other country and work on films. How cool is that? Yeah, it was crazy. I remember when I came back, my mom said, wow, you came back like a man. <laughs> you left like a little you kid. Just wish you just wish you had a girlfriend a that was waiting to say the same thing to you when you come back. <laughs> yeah, instead it was my mom. <laughs> All right, Spike forty two hundred. Could you please explain the whole tool project? We we did that actually on the previous one. So go back to uh, yeah. go back to the previous one. Uh, Izakazi's asked too many already, so yeah. we're moving on. Uh, okay, 
here we go. Spike for, uh, 4200 will have we he can't answer this one. Have you ever done DMT or ayahuasca? That will forego your other question for this one. Uh, yeah, I have to answer the other one by watching the previous episode or listening. Huh? You can watch it too while you're listening, but you really should be listening more than watching. Well, see, I'm a visual artist. I'm having trouble getting used to this whole sound factor. I keep uh, thinking that they're watching our faces while we do this. <laughs> Thank God they're not. That's all I got to say. Uh, they'd all be like, he looks a lot like Rob Zombie. <laughs> and he looks like Marilyn Manson. <laughs> totally. That's the freaky part. My whole life, man. That's so funny. Uh, uh, what was the question? DMT or ayahuasca? Oh, I've never done ayahuasca, and I have done DMT once well i did it for one day i did it over i had some i did it over a period of a day and i didn't cross over i didn't go all the way until the very end of it and then i had a pretty crazy uh experience that was crazy tws's okay we'll have to we'll have to save that whole story for the uh for the trip episode yes okay yes uh, the next one is from a handle called Chat Balls. <laughs> All right, Chat Balls. What is the nice least name. artistic thing you have ever done? <laughs> it's good. I like that. That's, cute. That's a good question, but I can't, you know. Uh, uh, least artistic thing I've ever done. <laughs> Probably take a shit. Or something. I knew you were going to say that. I totally knew he was going to say that. That's why I was laughing. Well, shat balls, you know, it all. <laughs> Let's just move on. Okay, we're not going to do another one here. Let's skip this one. I don't know what that means. Hold on. I'm still working here. That's good. Okay. Uh, B2 Rhiannis or B2 Rhiannals. Uh, uh, what were some of the big breaks or frustrations early in your career? That's a good question. Big breaks, I would say, was working with Tool. That was a good break, a very good break. Um, uh, having the Cannibal Flower group shows in my town in L.A., you know, was a pretty good break, having a place to show right away. Um the frustrations were many, which, you know, not ha- having to, having to hustle, having to work 40 hours a week while trying to start an art career was the big one, you know, and, um, ha- ha- just not having any time for anything else, but that hasn't really changed that much, except I don't have to do the day job anymore. But so, uh, yeah. And, you know, being early on knowing that my work, I mean, you know, 2004, 2005, you know, my work was comparable to what I'm doing now. I think, you know, black magic. I was, you know, I did those portraits. I am definitely a better painter, but as far as the paintings I did, I feel like they hold up. They, most of them stand up to what I'm doing now. So now I've got, um, <clears throat> a certain amount of, you know, uh, people, people know my work more now. Uh, back then nobody knew my work really. And nobody gave a shit or most people didn't give a shit. So that was frustrating that I felt like, you know, I'm, I'm good at what I'm doing. I've got something to offer, but no one cares. So that was frustrating, but you just have to keep, you know, I kept my eye on the prize, kept my eye on the goal of trying to make a living at this, you know? So I just didn't dwell on that stuff. Tried not to. 
Yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up. Mr. Andrew Hawkins is up next with another question this time on Instagram. Any thoughts on the new Twin Peaks also? The new David Lynch, The Art Life documentary is out today on iTunes. Yeah, after I saw that comment, I went and bought it. Did you? How was it? It was excellent. And I was yeah. just been meaning to tell you, you got to see it. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. It's like everything. It's just mostly his painting career, but it's his life. I love his painting stuff. too. Yeah. It's so his cool. painting stuff. So great. His it's his life up to a racer head. Basically. That's kind of where it ends. So it's really, <laughs> it's really good. So it's, it's, it's excellent. Excellent. It's really well done documentary too. It's just him talking. It's just him. Nice. No, no other interviews of anyone else and lots of great footage of him smoking and, looking at his artwork and thinking about what to do. It's really cool in his studio. Cool. I love that he's so hands-on. He's like a hands-on. He does it himself. He's not one of these guys that hires people to help him. He just right, makes right. the artwork. It's, it's all about, you know, it's just old school. I love it. Um, and Twin Peaks, the new, uh, i was been raving to Mike about it. <clears throat> he can't watch it yet because he doesn't have showtime, but I love it. Love it. Love, love, love it. It's amazing. I saw the first four episodes. I'm super jealous. Oh, it's so good. I I like it. I have to say, I like it. I so far, I like it better than the original first two seasons. There's something different about it. It's got it's just got an updated feel. Like just the the visual quality looks so much nicer than the original TV show in the mm-hmm. high high def and so much some of the the dark creep some of the creepy stuff it's there's a lot it seems like there's more of like a supernatural horror element almost maybe maybe not maybe not but i i there's some really really great imagery that's just like ah it's so good like when you first saw jacob's ladder and you're like oh my god Ooh. that that kind of quality of exciting know, yeah it's so good so i love it he loves it ladies and gentlemen <laughs> He likes it. He really likes it. Uh, Ed Gentile, I know you talked about building a style in the last episode, but what are some specific ways to help build this and bring this style more out and apparent? Well, you know, that's a good point. That's a good question because um, I realized I kind of left this aspect out of out of it last time we talked about it. Um, and that is be aware of, of – analyze your work and then see things in it this requires that you have some kind of uh, knowledge of art history to some degree, at least a, at least within your peer group of artists to know what's going on out there. You have to um, look at what you are creating and be able to see what is unique about it. This might be also asking other artists like we talked about in that episode, but finding what's uniquely you and then say, okay, I did this painting. 90% of it's derivative, but there's this one aspect over here that I have never seen anybody do in a painting before. And so then it's like, okay, well, I'm going to take this 10% maybe and try and develop that, pull that out of the painting and try and work on that to develop further and, and, and keep distilling, you know, keep distilling and refining and, and kind of follow that part of the, the piece. You know, follow follow the parts that are most distinctly you, and kind of toss the other stuff. That's what I would say. Yeah, I think that's that more or less is kind of the same nail you were driving last time. And ironically, in the David Lynch documentary, he says 
this isn't so much about getting your, he, it's kind of about getting your style. But one of the things he says is he's like, I was terrible. I sucked. It's funny too, hearing David Lynch. I sucked. Mm-hmm. He was talking about painting and he, and he said, the, but the only way to get through that was to just paint and paint and paint and make more and more paintings until I fa- found that thing that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the simple answer. You know, you keep doing it, keep doing it because you're searching for this thing that's uniquely your own. So that's that. Okay. Well, I'm, here's what I think. This is my opinion at this point. I've read through the rest of the questions. There are still a handful left. We have not gotten through all of them. Inevitably, we're going to end up doing a part three of this at some point in time because it's fun and also because it's cool and it gives people a way to actually have a direct interaction with you, even if only, you know, from uh, with some delay, a week, a week of delay or whatever. So I think I'm going to save this file and I'll have these pictures or the, you know, the screenshots of these remaining questions. So we can start from there next time and we'll query people and we'll just do a whole nother round, not on the next episode. Yeah, this will be. But off in the future, down the line, yeah. Because yeah. I read these questions. Some of these are fun and good. A couple repeats, a little bit might get a little bit old for people that have been listening and already know the answers to these questions. Plus, we're so, already at like an hour ten, so right, and we're going over here. So um, yeah, so I think we want to wrap it up. But we have some exciting news. Next week, we are having our very first special guest is the amazing Christopher Ulrich. Chet, you want to talk about that? Yes, we're having Christopher Christopher Ulrich on. That was Chet talking about it. <laughs> no, Christopher Ulrich. So loquacious, Mr. <laughs> no, he's one of my favorite uh, artists painting right now. He's incredibly talented. He's a genius. He's really fun and interesting to talk to. Um, you guys will totally love him if you're not familiar with him. I, I guarantee you guys are going to love this guy. He's got a lot to say, and he's uh, really kind of out there, you know, with his – he knows a lot about the occult, and he's just – a great guy and an He's amazing so cool. I'm, the first time I met him, I was like, I don't normally get along with people always right away when I first meet yeah. them or maybe they don't get along with me. I don't know. But either way, he and I just clicked immediately. Oh, that's did, not yeah. that common. So I knew you would too. I kept saying, Oh, you got to meet this guy. Cause you guys are just like, so, so similar in, in certain ways. But, uh, yeah. So he, and he's really, you know, been, uh, you know, the, uh, the kind of one, one of the, forces behind uh, lighting a fire under my ass to deal to, to get the dark art society going and get dystopia going really too. He's been very super supportive and really a, a great friend to have um, in this journey. So I'm excited. So we wanted to have him have, be the first guest on and then yes. once and then we'll he might even be like a special guest that comes back with some yeah, regulars absolutely. depending upon how things go because chris he's just such an awesome guy it really won't be a matter of whether whether anything other than his availability because he's having to work some angles to actually get to a computer to do this podcast with us so he's got some availability stuff that he's working with but he's going to be with us on the next one so we're really excited yeah and then that you know we're gonna we're kind of cut our teeth on that and hopefully after that, we'll be able to start having guests on every so often. And uh, cause yes. there's a lot of artists I would love to have on this podcast. Totally. You know, so that'll be really fun. A nice little new, new element to bring in. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm excited about that. If you guys get a chance also, uh, if you guys would head over and check out my emails from Infinity Podcast, uh, I've got a couple episodes. Actually, by the time this one airs, I will have three episodes out. Uh, it's a book that I wrote. It's autobiographical, but it's also some archival emails that I wrote to somebody trying to help them with some addiction recovery stuff. Meld it all together in this wild kind of fantastical journey. And yeah, the, uh, I'm scoring it and doing soundtracks and stuff. Yeah, the, the best parts are the... The, the meat of it is Mike's bi- uh, bi- biographical info. It's incredible. You, 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 trust me, it's really amazing. The stories are great. The writing's really great too. And when um, Ooh, thank you, yeah. And Mike's uh, voices are pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> no, he is really good at reading it. And the, it's a great. It's great. It's great. I love it. I'm looking forward to. Okay, the next so uh, what about you, Chet? You've got uh, merchandise for sale, as I mentioned earlier, at chetzar.bigcartel.com, and we're also looking for ratings, reviews, shares, likes, comments, so on and so forth. Yep. Uh, anything to help get the word out. We're still, you know, getting getting our name out there, and the documentary as well. You know, I like to paint monsters. That's another thing. It's it's all grassroots, and um, if you can share it, we you know we're just trying to get the word out. And um, it's a good documentary. We spent a lot of time on it. Mike spent a ton of time on it, a lot of energy. So it's worth worth getting. You can get it on my website or you know you can get it on iTunes. Print it or buy it on there as well. So yeah, that's it. I guess. All right. Well, you guys have a good one. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Peace.